Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sure Skills Learn to Grow podcast, where we discuss the learning landscape with leaders in learning. My name is Simon Bean. I am the host, and this week my guest is content guru Kirk Werner, who is the VP of content at Udacity. Kirk has a long and storied history in the world of learning content, and he played a major role as lynda.com revolutionized online learning. And he continues to push the envelope at Udacity, where he's helping learners build future-focused skills. If you're at all interested in where the future of learning is going, I think this is the podcast for you. Kirk is so knowledgeable when it comes to learning trends and has some really fantastic insights on how and why we learn the way we do. In this conversation, we discuss the evolution of content and its increasing importance as part of a successful learning experience. We discuss the future of the workplace and the emphasis on lifelong learning, and also the importance of learning something new every day and becoming adaptable in the face of change. I could have talked to Kirk all day long. He knows his stuff inside out. He knows the industry like the back of his hand, and he has a prescient ability to identify what's coming next, which I really appreciated. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here is Kirk Werner. Okay, Kirk, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Great stuff. So first, how are you and where are you right now? (laughs) That's a good question. I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm currently stationed in Southern California, uh, but uh, I'm working as the Vice President of Content for Udacity, which is headquartered in Mountain View, California. Very good. And I am in my usual spot in the mountains of North Carolina, just south of Asheville. But I am very excited that in a little more than a week, I'll be back in Dublin, Ireland for the first time in two years. Um, yeah, very excited about that. Yeah, we'll see how much more accent comes back when, you, uh, when you're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll come back. Nobody will be able to understand me. <laughs> Look, Kirk, you and I have had previous conversations and I was thinking about, you know, the way you kind of outlined your career. And when you look back on your last, say, two decades of experience, your career is kind of a great overview for how content has evolved in general. Right. I'm thinking back to, you know, when you were explaining hyperlinking textbooks on CD-ROMs with McGraw-Hill and then you were part of the, the Linda movement that revolutionized online training and learning. And then that continued over into to LinkedIn Learning and now at Udacity, where you guys are, you know, educating the workforce of the future. What stands out to you when you f- reflect on all of that? Um, you know, it's, it's a thanks for bringing that up. It's, it's a great uh, it's I, I think of it as part of that big evolutionary process. And for me, what really stands out is always trying to focus on content, not not worrying about the, the modality of delivery, but thinking about what is the content that we're delivering, who is the audience, and what's their best consumption platform. Um, you know, when I started in textbooks uh, with, the, you know, these big textbooks publishers, McGraw-Hill and, and uh, West Publishing and things like that, um, the, the best mode of delivery was a book that you, you got in class, that you worked on in class, that you bought out of the bookstore. Um, and I think that as that evolved into there's now technology that will allow the, the delivery of that content in an effective way, not just I'm going to read a textbook to you, but there's interactive elements. I'm engaging with the content in different in different modalities. Then it kind of gets you to try and step away from the modes and live in the content and just think about the content and the relationship to the audience 
and what's the best way to do that. And so as I look back, it's the, if I can always point to those areas when I said, now's the time to shift the mode we're delivering this content. This is now not as effective as another mode might be. Um, those are the really great parts to think about is how that evolves and how content stays in the middle, but the mode, it just constantly changes. Interesting. I love that piece about, that you mentioned about audience and considering your audience, uh, you know, and content has an author and authors have to consider their audiences. John Steinbeck famously picked a single person, real or imagined, and he writes for that person, right? And that allowed him to kind of hone in and, and be free from the, the stress of creating for massive audiences. How, how do you consider your audience and when it comes to not just creating content, but creating, you know, the, the philosophical governance behind content? The, the message is kind of the same. I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the, that Steinbeck thought experiment too, that you, you want to make sure you're talking to that audience of one. It, it, it works the same way in learning when you really think about it. Um, the most effective teachers that you had were the ones that you connected with. And when you're working in an in-person classroom, you can make that connection through the, the, you know, through the eyes and through the mannerisms and the expressions. As you, as you anonymize the instructor or the teacher into a textbook, you still have to in, imbue a certain amount of personality from the instructor so people can see the instructor through the words. But you also have to make sure you're connecting to the individuals. You have to make sure that you're speaking to that generation or that particular uh, age group or whatever it absolutely is. So making sure that you uh, look at it when you look at a college textbook and it's filled with text and you look at a high school textbook and it's it's predominantly done with buckets of information that go with lots more visuals, lots more color to move students through the content because they're not pulled through by the story of the text. They're pulled through by the experience. The same thing applies as you start to move into an online or a digital world on your content is how are you reaching the experience? I mean, the experience for like an online learner right now is 99% of the time is a singular experience. It's a person listening or engaging with the content on their own. It's not often a classroom with 30 people watching on screen. It's not the, uh, the substitute teacher who puts on the, the, uh, the, the video and says, go watch this for 30 minutes and then we'll talk about it at the end. It's almost always an individual experiencing it on their own. And so it's the same kind of personal conversation. It's imagining if, as you're building the content, who is the person on the other side of the headphones? What are they thinking? What are they trying to get out of this? How can you reach them in the most appropriate way? Now, you're not going to be able to understand every nuance of that individual, but you usually have a good sense of their motivation. Why are they taking this course? What are they trying to get out of it? And how can you make sure that you're expressing that in all the things that you're trying to train them on, not just in the intro saying, uh, hey, you're trying to pass Geology 101, so let's put some videos together. But also, as you're thinking through it, who are the people that are taking Geology 101 and why are they doing it? And how can you help that uh, kind of color how you deliver the information? I always kind of equate it to kind of the voice of a, of a mentor or a, a tutor more than an instructor. Oftentimes, instructors get kind of abstracted to the, I'm standing in the front of a 250 person lecture hall. And it's hard to make that personal connection when you're lecturing to a big room. It's more of the, 
I'm having a one-on-one office hour session and I'm helping you work through this particular problem. How would I, what tone will I use? What language will I use? Because it is an individual consuming it at that point. The language you're using is the language of experience design, right? Which is a very much in vogue kind of phrase. And and I think productively so that we've shifted from admin focused L&D style approaches to learning to facilitating an experience for the learner, right? And do you think content is playing as big a role as any anything in that shift? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that you can tell right away, you can probably tell within the first handful of minutes, whether of, a, of, a, of an online experience course, whether it's going to be successful or not. Because if it doesn't hold your attention for the first few minutes, you're not going to make it through however long the content is. If it's really engaging in the first few minutes, you might hang into that course for 20 or 30 hours of content because it just keeps you, you it, it, like a great movie, it kind of keeps you excited about learning the next thing and learning the next thing. Um, but if it doesn't, if you, you can know in the first five minutes, if it's just somebody reading a text on, uh, on a microphone, then you're probably not going to be able to be engaged with it. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems also then that either deliberately or coincidentally, you've been at the forefront of some major leaps and innovations in how content is created, delivered, and consumed. Is that something that's important to you? You know, you mentioned knowing when to pivot the modality. Is that something you've always done well? Is that something you've always really deliberately thought about? I, I, I would love to say yes, that I'm the, the that there's a certain amount of, of me driving a lot of change for the entire industry, but obviously that's not true. Um, you know, I'm a single cog in the wheel of, of online and, and delivering educational material over the last 25 years, but I was lucky enough to be one of the generations that first used computers in education. You know, I... I originally did my education on a typewriter and then I evolved to a computer. And so I kind of knew what a computer could do. I understood what a computer wasn't able to do. Uh, and while I'm not a computer expert, I'm not a programming expert, I've been living in this kind of meld between technology and education uh, from the very beginning. Um, you know, my initial experience in publishing was as the youngest member of an editorial team, it, it fell on me to say, well, how do we put this into a computer? Literally, that was the kind of question that I got. How do I put this in a computer? Well, we don't put it in a computer. Like we're, we're writing this in the word processing softwares of the past and we're publishing it. Uh, at that point, we were still printing pages out to be laid out to be printed, but we were doing it all in programs. And I said, the same thing can apply to students. They can consume the same way. And so this evolution to how does a student consume the content turned into one of the things that I just started paying attention to a lot. How can I make, how can I help this generation of students? Because the students are constantly evolving how they normalize the technology of the world. And they're often ahead. We call them digital natives. They're ahead of where the, the producers of the content usually are. And so the more you can get in the mind of the person and the experience of the person that's consuming the technology, consuming the content, then you can say, well, where are they? Where are they consuming content now? How can I put that content in front of them in a way that's going to be more meaningful to them than publishing a 500-page a book and sticking it in front of them? 
Shift the focus a little bit to the, you guys are very focused on the future workplace and workplace learning programs and what that might look like. And one of the things was it really interesting to me, you guys partner with Georgia Tech and AT&T uh, to deliver kind of affordable upskilling programs. And I thought it, it kind of brought together the triumvirate, right, of traditional education, workplace learning, and learning pr- uh, platforms. Uh, you guys, Udacity as a learning platform in a way that catered both to what businesses need uh, and individuals with, as far as upskilling and reskilling goes. Do you think that model is an indication of the future, where we're going with education and how we provide the right kind of learning and lifelong learning to, to individuals? I, I think that it's possible. I, I, there is a difference in what uh, the university system is still building content to do. Um, they're, building, they're building content to graduate students from their, their institutions and, and put them in entry-level positions. Enterprises and an industry is, yes, trying to find people for those entry-level roles, but it's very hard to hire people in comparison to upskilling your current staff. You know, upskilling your current staff, they already know the values of your organization. They already believe and understand the infrastructure of your company. And so transitioning somebody who's already part of your organization into um, another role in the organization or or upskilling them, giving them new skills, the new technology skills of the future, um, that's easier than hiring someone you don't know straight out of school and saying, I now imbue you with the power of this particular technology field. And so that that relationship often turns into they're serving kind of different masters. Um, if those masters are the audience, I always think of the audience as kind of driving a lot of this, obviously. So the the student in the classroom in the university system, whether they're consuming from a professor in the lecture hall, a discussion section, a lab, um, their goal is to graduate with a a usable degree and then go and find the workplace. Um, that's not always exactly what the uh, what the industry wants. And so you're trying to find that balance, right, of how can I provide a platform? And, and really that relationship um, was giving a university system a platform to deliver online content. I mean, we I think we've seen in the last year, especially the when forced to deliver things in a in a, in a format that is not the traditional sense, a lot of the university systems really struggled with how do I convert what we've been doing to another paradigm of delivery. Um, and some of them went to the same modes that I was talking to them about, you know, 20 years ago, which is, you know, the camera in the back of the classroom, just capturing a lecture and a professor standing either in their, in their study or standing in their classroom with no students and just delivering content. Now, is that really an effective way of delivering information in an online world? I think a lot of them realize that no, there are better ways to do that. And some of that involves um, thinking through the pedagogical elements that are most effective in an online or digital world, rather than just the lecture. Uh, I remember the first time I saw a professor in a classroom really use audio visual materials in a very effective way. 
you know, cutting back and forth between the visuals on the screen, video, playing music, connecting all of those dots. And I thought, this is fantastic. But then as soon as I got into the publishing world, it was, how can I recreate that in a way that's not in the classroom? How can I find a way to do that and deliver that same learning to someone who's not learning Greco-Roman history, but learning uh, business analytics? You know, it's not something I have to teach in the classroom. It's something I have to deliver into a, it's a life skill. Like you said, it's lifelong learning. It has to meet the needs of the adult learner who has a different attention span, a different understanding of how technology can be delivered. Um, and so you kind of have to meet that audience as it grows. I think what we found at Udacity especially is that um, our learner base is often, they're not people coming right out of school. You know, they're not college students. They're not coming right out of school. The majority of our audience is someone in their, in their early part of their career, several years into their career, but they're looking to upskill themselves. That's the individual. I'm looking to upskill myself. I want to get a better job. I want to get the new job, the things that are growing. Enterprises are really looking at, we have a workforce who doesn't have these skills that we need to digitally transform ourselves into the workplace of the future. And instead of trying to hire a whole bunch of new people, we are feeling very close to the people we have on our team and we want to skill them in those new skills. We want to show them how the things they've learned in their past can be translated into these new technologies. A lot of us have developed those skills along the way. You know, a lot of us have an understanding of data, even though we don't realize that we do. A lot of us have an understanding of what, uh, what programming skills can do for you. We may not be able to actually program the end result we need to in Python just yet, but we understand the logic that goes into programming languages. And we can apply those skills that we've learned to these new technologies and be successful. I mean, I, I always feel that we can create that workforce of the future out of the workforce of today if we just open our minds to the idea of we are constantly learning. We're constantly evolving. Just like the human animal is constantly evolving and constantly learning, we're doing that in our content. And we can reach new heights because we're open to the idea of learning new things. So many threads I, I want to pick up, but I'll, I'll stick to this one. All right, I remember reading that uh, Sebastian Throne, one of the founders of Udacity, had said of his five-year-old, he said, I hope he can hit the workforce relatively early and engage in lifelong education. Uh, and that I wish to do away with the idea of spending one big chunk of time learning. Uh, and I've had these same thoughts and considerations. I have a six and a seven-year-old. What do you think about what Thrun says there about getting in the workplace early uh, and then learning as you go and kind of working and learning and working and learning as opposed to learning in a big chunk and then going and spending a 40-year career working, which really doesn't happen anymore, right? You know, I believe that we're learning all the time. And I think that what his point is that every individual is going to be building their own path. And so some individuals are not going to have a path that says, I need to work through this academic institution until I receive uh, a piece of paper that says, congratulations, you've achieved uh, a, a modicum of excellence in this particular field. Some people can get that that same education, that practical education by going into the workforce and doing the things they want to do. Um, I think that we've proven in a lot of fields that 
the skills you need to be successful at work are not necessarily the skills that you pick up on in the university system. That's not to say the university system doesn't have its place. Um, I think the university system creates very well-rounded individuals who learn critical thinking skills, the ability to communicate, which are not necessarily skills that you pick up on in the workforce. You know, we, we often talk about the division between formal education and kind of on-the-job education or mentorship. Um, I believe that we have to rethink what formal education is. Formal education isn't always going to be being in a classroom, isn't always going to be listening to that sage on the stage deliver content to me. Sometimes it's going to be formal education is going to be, I consume this content because this is how I best ingest it. Um, I have some great friends who really struggled in a classroom experience and but but given the opportunity to be to work with a mentor someone who was in the field they wanted to be in and work very closely with them much like the apprenticeship programs of you know three or four hundred years ago that same relationship of mentor and mentee actually created for them a wonderful work path that they've been able to follow for years um, others needed to go to a university system to say i don't know what i want to do but I know I want to work in a field that's kind of like this, and I want to see more and experience more around it. I think that there's options for everyone. I think the path of the future is personal, that it's what are you best at? What do you want to explore? How do you develop skills? And those skills become the things that you develop into any kind of career or or calling. Um, I, I do believe in a lot of ways the sense of calling where you feel attached to or really driven to work in a particular area. I feel that way about uh, education. You know, I've tried to live my life and work in a place where I feel that I can give the most value to the, the environment and the people around me by providing better learning experiences. It's not always in the classroom. I did that for a while. It's not always in, in publishing or books. I did that for a while. Um, it could be in in in-person mentorship, um, but I believe that, and I think everyone else, everyone has that somewhere in them, that thing that really resonates with them. And the more they get to experience, the more they're likely to find it, even if it's just a singular skill. You know, we all have those friends who are who are fantastic at uh, at editing other people's work to make sure that it makes sense or it reads well. We have those. Not me. <laughs> not, not you. <laughs> we have those friends who are great at public speaking, who you can always push out in front of a crowd to be the presenter. Uh, we have those friends who are the, the ones who can always find humor in every situation. Those are individual skills that can be applied to any number of careers. And I think that's what we'll actually start developing is where do we develop the skills that are going to make us successful? Some will be in the university system. Some will be in the workplace. Some will be in those online uh, experiences. Some will be in our personal interactions. And through those development of those skills and the verification of those skills through some kind of, of tooling system or mentor-mentee kind of acknowledgement, that's where people will have a more robust personal kind of what I call kind of a skill suitcase. These are the things that I'm good at. Here are the things that I'm working on. Here's what I'd like to be able to do better. And then take that to a workplace and say, here, let me see how I can apply these skills to what you guys are doing there.
Mm-hmm. So maybe your six-year-old is going to be fantastic as a, uh, a programmer in machine learning. Uh, maybe your 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 six-year-old is going to be a fantastic uh, basketball player. But all of those things are just skills they'll be developing over time and hopefully be able to apply to the first job they get and the last job they have. Tying together a couple of things that you're saying, you know, automation will reshape the jobs landscape, right? And it's already doing that. And people will have to change occupations and learn new skills to remain relevant in the job market. And that's already happening, right? And you guys cater to a lot of that. And that's the need for upskilling and reskilling. There's also, as a result of that, going to be an increasing focus on uniquely human skills, as you've said, right? And, you know, non-automatable skills, as Heather McGowan uh, talks about in her uh, book, The Adaptation Advantage, which I think is fantastic. Have you read that one? No, not yet. Really insightful stuff. But mentorship is, is such a big part of that. Is there a, an increasing institutional responsibility to teach soft skills like learning how to learn earlier and earlier for workplaces, like you said, to facilitate mentorship programs that help young people coming in straight out of college to develop soft skills that will help them thrive and is almost like an amplifier for all of their technical skills? Um, that's absolutely, absolutely on the nose. The digital transformation that's happening now is is not just a digital transformation that happens once. It's not a transactional activity of I flipped the switch and now I'm transformed. It's it's not only understanding the technologies, what we call now the technologies of the future, but they're really the technologies of the now. It's how does artificial intelligence impact what I do in my job? How does data understanding data science and understanding how to do some data analysis, how does that impact my job and what I do? How are these skills, how is the cloud going to change um, learning in, in any way, shape, or form? How are these things going to affect my, my work? But it's not a one-time thing. And it's not just these technologies. It, there's always going to be a next technology. I can rattle off a couple of things that are not right now in the forefront of almost all of our careers, like AI and machine learning and data science are. But I can say that if you're not open to a culture of learning, if you're not building inside of you a philosophy of curiosity, constantly wanting to evolve and say, what's next and how can I apply what's next to what I'm doing now? How can I change? How can I transform? Rather than let something transform you, how can you transform? Take the human agency and be at the forefront rather than having everything acted on you. That mentality, that mindset of being open to change, open to learning, open to the next ideas and how to integrate that into your into your work, that's something that everyone has to learn. And then the ability to communicate that, you know, that, hey, this is how I've learned how this is going to apply to what we do. Let me share it with you. The openness of sharing, instead of building a culture where it's where everyone wins for themselves, but we win together, we're better together to solve those problems. Those are the workplaces that are going to be really successful because they're going to be instead of living in a world of of singular transformation they're going to be living in a world of constant transformation they'll be constantly questioning is there a better way to do this is there a new technology that we can use to do this how can i change my work and the works of the friends around me to be even better because we're instituting all these new ways of doing things rather than pushing back and saying no we have to stay the way we were 
I think that that openness, that mindset of change, that mindset of learning, those things will be just as important as the technologies that we're transforming it. Yeah, I love that idea of transformation, not as a, a possibility, but an inevitability. And to be almost like, bring it on. You know, this, this, is, a, this is a bit an advantage to us. I, I, ironically, I studied um, printing in, in my, uh, my academic career. Um, and, you know, you can imagine all those individuals whose jobs as scriveners were to write things down or all the monks who are cloistered making copies of things. Um, as soon as the printing press became somewhat ubiquitous, a lot of those jobs went away or they became artisan jobs. Oh, well, I wanted a fancy book. And so I went over to the, the, the Scrivener. But if I just want a copy of the book, I bought it off the shelf. Um, I think that there's an inevitability to technology. You know, the, the horseless carriage from the horsed carriage. Um, we don't necessarily want to say, oh, let's make sure we go back and do grab horses again. But we think about how those evolutionary processes, how those those uh, changes, those transformations happen, and how can we project that, hey, these are things that are looking for disruption. There are areas in this world that are actually primed for a certain amount of disruption. And how can we be at the forefront and comfortable disrupting it and then still providing access to those who are being disrupted. How do we change their lives to make them successful in the new environment rather than just saying, oh, well, we're disrupting your workplace and you better get on board with the new environment. We say, hey, we're better together. What can we do to disrupt this workplace but all, or work, uh, workforce, but also continue to evolve and transform the workforce to make them successful in the next environment. The things you're talking about are the likes of design thinking, right? Seeing the big picture, seeing not just what we're doing right now, you know, why, uh, fine, learning how to code is great, but why am I doing that? Where does that fit? Transdisciplinarity, how do I apply concepts from one thing to something else in order to disrupt and, and drive change and to you know, adapt and be flexible? But it's the flexibility of thinking that will be the biggest benefit and advantage going forward, right? Yeah. I think you, you, you have individuals who are very successful when they have that singular focus. And that's fantastic. I have never been one of those. Uh, I believe that, that I, I always am interested in learning. And so I'm constantly trying to learn new things. I'm trying new things out. I'm always trying to integrate new ideas into what I'm doing. Uh, but I know there's others that I work with who are just very good at their singular focus. And they're a fantastic compliment to me because they can make sure that they get things done and they process it and they have it done in the right box. And I can be over here throwing ideas at the wall and saying, oh, wait, one out of 10 is a fantastic one. We should grab those. I think that the workforce of tomorrow recognizes that, recognizes that not all people are the same. Not all people who program in Python uh, play the cello. And so the ones who play the cello I have that as a skill and the ones who uh, play uh, uh, will, uh, play video games in the afternoon, they also have that skill. You know, it's they're both people who code in Python, but they have other things, too. And I think the recognition that not everyone has the same singular focus, but they come together with that particular skill set to solve these particular problems. And then they work on other problems over here with their other skill set. I think that's a fantastic workforce to, workforce to be in. One that I come together to solve this problem, and then I 
continue on that path to continue solving in that same path, or I go into another path and I solve over there. Um, that recognition that every individual has a separate kind of skill set and path, that's the workforce of the future that's going to be successful. You're obviously a passionate learner yourself. Where do you go for your learning and what does learning look like for you? Yeah, I believe learning happens all the time. I, I was learning this morning. I was reading this morning a couple of articles about some of the things that are happening in the news, uh, in my industry. Uh, I signed up for a webinar tomorrow on a tool that we use, a business intelligence tool that we use. Uh, I'm going to have a, uh, a conversation with someone this afternoon who's going to talk to me about uh, machine learning and how excited they are about working in that industry. Every single one of those conversations is a learning experience for me. Um, you know, one of the places I love learning the most is in interviews. And not interviews like this, but job interviews. When somebody's interviewing with me, I love asking them about their learning experiences. How do you learn? And, and what have you learned most recently? Because it just excites me. And sometimes it makes me write something down. Like you suggested a book and I said, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, let's, let's, let me get that book and read it. I think if we can be open to the idea that learning exists far outside of the classroom, it exists everywhere around us, whether it is uh, a book that I buy and I read and I put on my shelf for safekeeping, or it's uh, the bike mechanic walking me through kind of how to do the thing that he was fixing my bike for. I learn about all of those things. And then I can apply some of those things in other contexts. You know, sitting through and watching the bike mechanic work on a particular section of my bike might mean that I can, I can talk to the child across the street and help them do the same thing. And I can, I can learn by teaching as well. Um, so I look everywhere for learning. I, I search out the opportunities to learn and try and get new information. Um, you know, my Netflix queue is filled with documentaries, but also fiction. Also, you know, I love watching movies because I also not only love the experience of the movies, but I love thinking of how can I integrate the same kind of experiences that people want to get in a, in a, in a movie theater into learning so that they'll sit through a two, people will sit through a three or four hour movie and enjoy it. And yet they'll push back on a two or three minute piece of video in, in learning content. That's because the learning content is not as engaging. How can I make learning content as engaging as Captain America? And directors are content creators, you know, c yeah. catering to an audience, delivering some sort of concept, <laughs> some, mm -hmm. something interesting behind it. And unpacking that, I'm sure, is uh, it, as it is for me, is, is fun for you, too, as a content creator. Yeah, even the experience of the of the of the theater itself, like um, theaters haven't evolved all that much. They're still square rooms or rectangular rooms with sound uh, uh, equipment and a large screen in the front. Um, it's kind of a communal activity, but you're not really interacting with the other people in the room. It's kind of a singular experience. Um, how do we change? learning in some cases to fit that mode if the content is like that mode? How do we integrate the changes that we see in, in digital transformation of visual content that we're in, ingesting now through Netflix? The idea of binging um, content, you know, that's been something that's been in the online learning industry from the very beginning. Hey, yeah, sit down and watch the entire course, one video at a time, or read through the content, one piece at a kind. You don't have to stop at any one point. You can keep going. Um, the, the streaming world 
gets into it now. Oh, everyone wants to binge content. But you also know that there's other content that's actually more effective if you only see it once a week. That you come mm-hmm. back every Friday night to watch that new piece of content or every Sunday night to watch that new piece of content. You can talk about it at the water cooler and say, you know what I watched last night? You know what I learned last night was this thing. I really enjoyed it. And then someone else hears that and says, well, I want to watch that. I want to learn that. And you build that kind of pattern of learning that happens every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday night. That's another thing that we've learned, I think, from the from the uh, the entertainment industry is what should be bingeable and what should be serial. That's modality again, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's using modalities that are out there in the world and how do we apply it to what we're doing, what I'm doing every day. Being open to the idea that not every good idea has to come from the classroom. You alluded earlier to some new technologies that we might not know about just yet that are coming down the pipeline. What do you see as the next phase in learning and learning contents? Yeah. I, I, one of the things is something we talked about earlier, which gets into a personalized learning experience. You know, it's, it's based on my background and what I already know and what I want to know and where I want to go. This is the content that's suggested to me in a modality that I'm going to best consume it. So some companies will say, oh, we can identify what you want to learn next by your activity, but they all serve it up. They serve up all their content the same way. I think the, the next step will be not only serving the content up that you need to be successful in your personal journey, but also in the way that you best consume it and with the interactions or non-interactions that are best for you. Some learners work great in a communal activity uh, workspace. Others hate it. You know, we've all had that experience where it's a group project and three people aren't doing anything and two people do all the work. Some people don't like that experience. Some people love that experience. I love working together in groups. I love communicating. I love talking about things. Um, and so that kind of purely personalized journey of not only the, the, the content you're going to learn, but how you're going to learn it, that's something that's going to be in the future. Um, but also integrating more of the business skill into the technical learning. It's one thing to create a fantastic engineer who can develop an app um, and make the best possible use of the technologies that they have around them. It's another thing to create an engineer who can work on a team who can do that as well, who's not the singular individual, but is part of a larger organization. And so integrating those skills into the learning Rather than here's your technical content and then here's your business skills content and separating them. How do we integrate that together? Like that to me is another big step that still has to happen. How do I uh, not only train the, the engineers of tomorrow, but how do I train the engineering leaders of tomorrow, the CTOs of tomorrow? How do we provide more uh, integrated content across the platform where if I learn something here, it ticks off that I need to learn this over here. And it reminds me, Hey, this is a good, there's another good step over here. It's a path less taken, but it seems like based on your activity, you might be interested in that, like that kind of, 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 uh, opportunism of learning. I, I used to call it the serendipity of learning where you just get exposed to a lot of the constellation. And while 
it can be overwhelming. You can get some insight as to, well, a lot of people who took the path that you're on also experienced this over here. You might want to think about that. Um, again, that, that trying to create that more well-rounded learner. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, is there a technology on the, on the horizon that's going to change the world that we all have to be trained on? Yes. What is it? I can't necessarily tell you. But uh, but I can say I, I can say that we at Udacity are really driving for making sure that the workforces of the future always have that perfect bit of information that they need to be successful and drive to the next step, continually transforming, always being able to take content and be successful. Um, I think that that's that's kind of what our I, I, I said in a post recently. Uh, about uh, we were just on the uh, on the uh, CNBC uh, list of top fifty disruptors, and I said that's kind of what we do. You know, we're disrupting learning in a in a in a in a in a fun way, but also in a in a focused way. You know, our goal is to change the learning environment and constantly evolve to go from you know where we were uh, uh, six seven years ago where we are now and where we're going to be in six, seven, 10 years. Like all of that is a constant disruption. Uh, and I'm just super excited to be on the ride for it. And that's living out the, uh, the message of agility and flexibility and iteration, adaptability, all those things, right. To not know where you're going to be in 10 years is probably a good thing. Right? Yeah. It's good to have a framework. It's good to have a sense of like, this is, you know, where we plan to go and here's some of the steps we have to go to get there. But knowing that, Things change in 10 years. Think about where you were 10 years ago. Think about where you were 15 years ago. Could you have imagined you'd been in this place 10 or 15 years ago? Probably not. Some people would say, oh, yeah, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And that might, be, that might be great. I live in a world of constant change. The world of education is constantly evolving. I constantly want to push the envelope into what's new. And so while I think I know where I want to go and I can build the steps to that, I always have a little bit in my back pocket that says, if we decide to take an off-ramp, that's going to be okay. It's a great way of thinking about it. And I think you guys at Udacity are doing a great job uh, finding the, the happy medium between facilitating upskilling and reskilling for individuals who need it and are passionate about it and are finding the things they're into, whether that be AI or machine learning or also helping organizations give their people what they need. The need for upskilling and reskilling internally because external hires, hiring for every role is just not possible financially. And, and you know, you can also build a really strong internal culture by committing to your people and saying, we're going to invest in our people and not just abandon them when things change, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the best signal uh, an enterprise can kind of give. And we hear that from not only our learners, but we hear that from our, from our clients as well is the that signal that says we are willing to invest in you. If you're willing to invest in us and put your attention and your, and your life into the learning that we're trying to present, the transformation we're trying to build, then we're willing to invest in you. And I think that the enterprises that do that, the clients that do that, um, and then the learners that do that, I mean, the enterprise learners that say, I'm willing to commit and learn this new technology and learn this new uh, transformational tools, um, because I want the company to be better. I'm going to learn personal skills along the way, but I want to be able to turn that back and, again, be better together to build a better tomorrow. 
for that organization. I mean, those are the learners who are hyper successful. Those are the clients that we work with that are super successful because they're not transactional. They're, they're, yes, they're transforming this particular aspect right now, but then they're looking, okay, when this group is done, who's the next group we want to bring into this? What's the next technology or the next innovation we want to grow into? They're constantly thinking of growth and innovation. Those are the ones that are going to be successful because they build that culture of learning where people are just excited to take the next class rather than, oh, I got to sit through another class. It's, I'm excited to take it. I can't wait to see what's going to be next on the horizon. I really appreciate the fact that you're living out your principles and that you are, you know, obviously a, a passionate learner. And I think Udacity is in good hands with you at the helm of the, uh, the content crew there. And I just want to say thanks for taking the time to, to hang out and chat today. Absolutely. Really appreciate the opportunity, Simon. And uh, if I can leave everyone with one thing, it's literally let's learn one thing a day. Everyone try and learn just one thing a day. Even if it's I'm going to read through a recipe or I'm going to uh, learn how to play soccer or if it's I'm going to learn how to set up that piece of technology for my kids. It's try and learn one thing a day. Love it. Great way to finish. Listen, Kirk, enjoy the rest of your week and uh, I will be in touch. All right. Thanks a lot, Simon. That was Kirk Werner. Thanks again to Kirk for being so generous with his time and for sharing his insights on what's happening in the world of workplace learning. As usual, I will add any relevant links in the show notes. Thank you all so much for taking the time to listen. Take care and all the best.